For the message this morning, I want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. In um, Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the, the men of faith. And in chapter 12, verses 1, 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. And if we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about um, men and women who through faith did amazing things. It starts out with Abel and Enoch. I'm going to read verse... Six, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then it goes on to Noah, talks about Abraham and Sarah. And then verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and if truly they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And then it talks about Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and then verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. This is talking about Moses. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And then it goes on, talks about the faith of the Israelites um, around Jericho and the faith of of Rahab. And then going to verse 32 through 34, it says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, or of and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And that's where I'll stop. So I want you to think about these people and what they did, the mighty acts they were able to do. Through their faith, God worked through them. And I want to talk to you this morning about Jephthah. I don't know what, real quick, when you think about Jephthah, what's the one thing you think about? What's Jephthah famous for? Okay, maybe you don't know the story of Jephthah. (laughs) So it's going to be a little bit of a a history lesson this morning. Um, And it may feel a little bit scattered. There's a lot of things we can learn. I'll point a few things out. But the main point, remember the main point of the story is Jephthah and his faith. So I want to go back in time um, to when judges ruled the land. There was no king. Um, Everyone kind of did what was right in their own eyes to an extent. Um, The tribes were not united very well. And some of the judges were picked by God for a specific task, um, like Gideon. And some were picked by men, uh, like Jephthah. 
And there were also um, there were also times where there was no there was no judge. I guess like there's 18 years before Jephthah when there was no judge. And when I look at this time, I think I understand their desire for a king, um, someone to create an army and fight the enemy, someone to enforce the law, someone to be a leader. And this kind of comes out in this story a little bit. So let's go to Judges chapter 10 to start, and we'll read a little bit of context. This is leading up to Jephthah's story. Um, And I believe, if I did the math right, this was anywhere from 90 to 100 years after Gideon. So Judges chapter 10, verse 6. And the children of Israel... And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord, and served him not. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines, and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. Eighteen years all the children of Israel that were on the other side of Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was sore distressed. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also and the Amalekites and the... Maonites did oppress you, and you cried unto me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet ye have forsaken me, and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go, and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them, and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Then the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people and princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So, the first thing, the people had turned to Baal and Ashtoreth along with other heathen gods. And the Lord was angry with them. Um, he was responsible for allowing their, their suffering. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Amorites, and this had gone on for 18 years for the tribes on the other side of the Jordan. Um, and I believe it would be those that, when they had crossed the Jordan River, I think they had made a deal with Joshua that some of them liked the land on the other side, so they stayed there. And so the children of Ammon had been afflicting those that were on the other side, the east side of the Jordan, but then they had started to cross the Jordan and started attacking the other tribes as well, Uh, the tribes of Judah, Ephraim, and Benjamin. And they cried out to God, and God said, well, go to the gods who you're serving. Let them deliver you. I'm not helping you. And that's kind of where it ends. That's where God left them. Uh, Apparently, they had no other word from the Lord. And the people decided that they would repent anyway, so they did. And they um, put away their gods and started serving him. And they had that prayer that do what seems right, but please deliver us. 
and it doesn't say that God responded. But it says that God was grieved. And so I, th- I think that's lesson number one. Um, the Lord is caring and merciful even when we deserve all that we have coming to us. And then the Ammonites um, came together for a major invasion. So they gathered on the, yeah, I believe it was still on the east side of the Jordan, and they were going to invade Israel. <clears throat> and the Israelites came out to meet them, but they had no leader. And they, um, yeah, they had no leader, no word from the Lord. And the people were desperate enough that they said, well, whoever will lead us and begin the fight, will lead us into battle, will be our head. Will be the future judge of Israel. So let's keep reading here. Starting at verse 1, chapter 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah, and went out with him. So, um, Jephthah was the son of Gilead. And it's a little bit confusing, because Gilead was also a place, but I believe that it was also his father's name. Um, there might be some disagreement on that, but he was the son of a harlot. Um, Well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, He was, his father seemed to be a leader in the area, so um, his brothers were referred to as princes later on, and so you can get the idea that he was fairly well-to-do. They would have been, um, you know, if his brothers were princes, they would have been some of the leaders in, the, in that area, I'm guessing. Um, and then he was the son of a harlot. And we think the son of a prostitute, but that probably wasn't the case. And remember, they had just come out of their worship of Ashtoreth, right? Um, and to understand this, we need to understand the worship of Ashtoreth and what it was. So the, the worship of Ashtoreth was they believed, and it was tied in with Baal. Like Ashtoreth was kind of the female counterpart to Baal. And they believed that if, you, if a man would have um, physical relationship with a priestess or a harlot of Ashtoreth, they would be, then the gods would pour out blessing. On, Ashtoreth was the god of fertility, of prosperity, and love. So it was very immoral. And it, it looked like, um, if I could tell you a story about that, that describes this worship. So Judah, do you remember the story of Judah and Tamar? Um, and, and forget the story, just look what Judah did. So he was going to go shear his sheep, right? He was headed to shear his sheep, and he, what did he do on the way? He slept with a priestess of Ashereth, like he thought. It was actually Tamar disguised. But he did that in order to get good favor so that he would have a good crop of wool. And that's what it looked like. Um, they would actually have a festival where they would, it was very immoral. Um, in the springs, so they'd go plant all their crops, and um, you know, then they would have this festival, and then after the festival, the rains would come, the crops would grow, and they would just have this awesome summer and harvest. And you might think, that's crazy. But remember, 
when the children of Israel sent in the spies to the land of Canaan, and Ashereth was a god of the Canaanites, what did they bring back on a pole between two guys? A huge cluster of grapes that was massive, so big that they probably were like, these people are never going to believe us. We're going we're gonna to bring one of these clusters of grapes back because nobody has ever seen anything like this, and I've never seen anything like this. If somebody would tell me that they went to, up to Michigan to the vineyards and saw a cluster of grapes like that, I would not believe them. There's, there's no way. So that's, that's what the Israelites saw. That's what they were up against. Maybe there was something to this worship. So, Jephthah was most likely the son of a priestess of Ashtoreth. Um, <clears throat> and so, when he grew up, his brothers uh, didn't want him to be, have part of the inheritance, right? So they kicked him out. And I'm assuming that... Um, that was normally the case. It says other vain men were gathered to him there at Tob. He fled, went to Tob. There's other men that were gathered there with him, and they were vain men, but that vain means that they were empty, probably men like him that didn't have an inheritance. They didn't have any land. Um, they had been kicked out as well. <clears throat> so probably other men that would have came out of that worship. So... Um, Okay, and, and another thing, at, at first glance, I thought Jephthah was possibly a, um, a half-Jew, and maybe that's why they kicked him out, but I don't think that was probably the case. Um, in this, they would have probably had Jewish harlots as well. So, um, <clears throat> And yeah, imagine, yeah, they would have Jewish harlots, the, the Jewish men would have been putting their daughters into that sort of worship. Uh, something to remember as we go on. So um, this will make sense as we see kind of what happens in the rest of the story. And let's keep reading it. Verse 4. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us, and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. <clears throat> and Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? In other words, he was a little bit incredulous, like, really? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so, according to thy words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So, because he was a mighty man of valor, um, his brothers came out. They thought, hey, let's get Jephthah. Um, Ask him to lead the army or to deliver them. And Jephthah said, you threw me out. What do I have to do with you? Now you want me to come deliver you? And it sounds an awful like, or an awful lot like what God said to them, right? In fact, it's, it's, it's almost identical. They had cast God out. They weren't worshiping him anymore. And then they turned to him for help. And God said, well, go to the ones that you were worshiping. 
Same with Jephthah. He said, you threw me out. What, now you're coming to me for deliverance? And some, some say that uh, Jephthah made them promise that they would make him their head if he would come. But it's obvious in Scripture that they had even, like back in verse um, 18, they had predetermined that whoever would come would be their head. And so I think he was just, um, yeah, a little bit incredulous and was wondering if, if that was really the case. So he goes with them, and they have the ceremony there at Mizpah or whatever, and he becomes their head. And then once he became the leader, his first action was to try to negotiate, which did not work. Um, <clears throat> let's keep reading at verse 12. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me? that thou art come against me to fight in my land. And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt, from Arnon even unto Jabbok, unto Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands again peacefully, peaceably. And I'm actually going to skip a lot of this. Um, it goes down to verse 28. Um, but I, I wish I didn't have to skip it, but I better. Um, but basically it brings out that Jephthah knew history. Um, the king of Ammon said, well, you know, this, these were our lands and everything. And Jephthah said, no, he, he disagreed. He told him the whole story of how they came through the land and um, they wouldn't let him go through. And so they had this war and they, they uh, destroyed him and they possessed the land um, because of God. And... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, so it's important to notice that Jephthah knew his history. Um, and he also understood that it was a battle of the gods and not of men. And the king of Ammon was not persuaded to leave, so Jephthah headed to the battle. And it says the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. <clears throat> so God showed up to help too. And we'll read verses starting at verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt, shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon, to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aor, even till thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Um... Keep going here. Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months 
that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. So the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He went out, had a great victory. It was a great slaughter. But before he went, he made a vow. And that's what people know Jephthah by, Jephthah's vow. And a lot of people would say it was a foolish vow. And I want to challenge that idea this morning a little bit. I want to spend a lot of time on this because uh, it's important to the meaning of the story. And there's some disagreement on what was actually vowed. And it's a bit, uh, I guess, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but it's a bit obscure, the words that were used and ambiguous. And so some think the translation was fairly... um, speculative, but some believe that it was, it was exactly how it was translated um, into English, <clears throat> that, and that they would say that he actually offered his daughter up for a burnt offering. Um, and it would be as though she was devoted to the Lord and could not be redeemed or saved. And so if you want to read more about this, you could read Leviticus chapter 27. It talks about the vows that they would make. It's very interesting um, and I believe that Jephthah knew that chapter. If he knew all of the history of Israel, he would have known what God, God's words. <clears throat> and if he's listed in the faith chapter as a man who through faith did things, I believe he, he knew God and he knew what God said. Um, but this, this is very compelling if you want to look at this vow this way. So, yeah, the... In other words, Jephthah, um, when he vowed it, it was he couldn't go back on it, and she was um, sent to death. Um, <clears throat> if if that's if that's what happened, I'm not sure what we learn from the story. Besides, don't make a vow. And you know, if we believe that God was, uh, you know. Highly involved with this battle, why wasn't God highly involved with the vow? Did he leave it up to random chance, or did God just do it to spite Jephthah, or what was the? If if that's the the end of it, I I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to give you my opinion. It's it's obscure enough that people argue over it and they're not sure. But I I think there's a lot of meaning in it. So some would think that the word and could also be translated or. And if you read the modern King James Version, that's how it reads. So um, let's go back to the vow. Okay. um, Verse 31. Then it shall be, this is how the modern King James Version would, would read it. It says, Then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, or I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Some would say, or I read one guy's thoughts, that that word that's used there, and again, I'm no scholar on this, I need to be, but there was a very slight difference in the order of words there. So it says, that I will offer it up for a burnt offering to change it to I will offer up for it a burnt offering, just switching a couple words around there, was very slight. Like it was like 
the dot on an I or a cross on a T that somehow maybe whoever wrote it just missed it and it changed the translation a little bit. Um, so any, any of those two would drastically change um, what was actually vowed. <clears throat> but again, uh, yeah, it's something that people are not sure about. So in a situation like that, I like to look at the context a little bit and see if we can get some clues um, on meaning. And so let's look about, um, if, if you read Leviticus chapter 27, it talks about two words. One is, is devoted, and that was the word like what people would say Jephthah used. So someone who is devoted to the Lord, I think it's in uh, verses 27 and 28. If someone was devoted to the Lord, they could not be redeemed. Okay, so they were destined for... Think about when the Israelites went to Jericho and they were supposed to destroy everything, every man. Um, there was no redemption for them. Same with like Saul when he was supposed to destroy uh, King Agag and he didn't do it. Um, th- those people were under the curse. That's kind of how it's looked at. That word is, is cursed to destruction to the Lord. Well, if that's how it was used, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure why that would have been uh, compelling to God to act because Jephthah was vow to vow why would that wouldn't even make sense if Jephthah said if you will give me victory I will offer whatever comes out of my house to total destruction like that that doesn't make sense the other word that's used there is sanctified Um, it would be sort of like uh, like Samson was he was a Nazarite right so he was um, and and people during that time would have a time where they would maybe sanctify themselves to the Lord for a certain amount of time, it wasn't always permanently, or they would sanctify their land or sanctify their house, things like that. And so, if if that's the words that he used, or if that's what he intended in his vow, then she could have been redeemed, uh, redeemed for money, which would have made it a lot more compelling to God, I think, if he said, you know, if you'd give me. De- deliverance from the Ammonites, then I will offer whatever comes out of my house for a, in dedication to God, for a life of service. To me, that's a lot more compelling to God. Now, I like things to be cut and dried, and I don't, it seems like when they're not, you can twist things, and I don't intend to do that this morning. Maybe you feel like I am. If you do, I'd love to talk to you afterwards about it. Um, so Jephthah returns, and his daughter comes out dancing, and he's devastated. And again, here's another clue. Uh, he's devastated because she is his only child and the end of his lineage. Now there will be no grandchildren. His line is finished. And she takes it graciously. Um, she seems to think it's worth it, and she's willing to do it. It seemed like her faith is as great as her father's. But she requested two months in the mountains, uh, which was granted. And uh, here's another clue. She was there mourning that she would never marry. Um, now, why would she do that if she was going to be put to death? It, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then it says after she returned, it was done to her. Um, and then it, after that, it states that she knew no man, which would go without saying if she was dead, right? Um, <clears throat> I think 
that she was probably um, dedicated to God as much like Anna was at the time of Christ. Um, when Jesus came, Anna was at the temple continually. Um, and there were other mentions in scripture about women serving at the tabernacle, things like that. Um, possibly living in solitude, which is referred to a little bit later here. Um, <clears throat> devoting her life probably to fasting and prayer. So, tying a few things um, together, Jephthah was a godly man. He understood history. Um, Hebrews 11 says he did this through faith in God, and he actually mirrored God to the children of Israel very well. Um, And I think, yeah, I think we see God working in a mighty way to bring deliverance, and I think we see God working in a mighty way to in the vow as well. And here's, here's how I see it, and this is how I think about it. I could be wrong. Um, so I think Jephthah knew that it was going to be a person. I think he had a person in mind when he made the vow. And the reason I think that is because why would you, if, if he had an animal in mind, why wouldn't he just say, you know, wouldn't it be worth it to him for his best ox or his best lamb or whatever? Like, why didn't he just say that? Um, I think he had the idea, I think he understood, if he was a godly man, which it says he is, I think he understood that the people needed a, an example. They had just come out of this idolatry. They needed an example, somebody who would teach them the way. And another reason I think that he... Um, Yeah, I, I guess another thing with the vow is that she could have been redeemed, but she wasn't. They, they chose not to. But she was a nationwide spectacle. So imagine you're living there and coming out of this, and they, you go to this Jephthah, who a lot of you probably don't know. You know, if you had been living back then, you probably wouldn't have known who he was. And he comes and this is a godly man, and he has this great deliverance. And then... His daughter, which is also a celebrity at this point, you know, he vows a vow, and she becomes, um, yeah, she becomes a nationwide spectacle. Everybody knew the story and knew what would happen. Um, And it says that the daughters, it was the custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four, four days in a year. And a lot of translations would say celebrate. They went to celebrate the daughter of Jephthah. And again, obscure. People argue over the meaning of this word that, that they would go and speak about the daughter of Jephthah. Some would say they would go and speak to the daughter of Jephthah, insinuating that she was alive. Um, and it says they went. So you could say, well, they went up on the mountains to bewail Jephthah's daughter, or they went to visit her and, and talk with her. So yeah, I, to, to tie this all together, yeah, so, so she is vowed to God and is, because of her father's actions, a celebrity. Um, but rather than 
redeem her from the vow, she stays in it, willing to serve the Lord and be an example to all the women in Israel. So remember, they were just coming out of a religion that required them to pollute their bodies and uh, sacrifice faithfulness in marriage for things like good crops and plentiful rain. And here comes Jephthah's daughter, put on display, I believe by choice, of worship of a God that values faithful love, that values faithfulness. She was dedicated to serving him, and her body was only for, for him. And I wonder if these ex-Ashereth priestesses were in awe of that. Um, I'm sure they longed for that faithful love for themselves. And you might think about, about that religion as being, well, maybe you think it would be kind of attractive, but it would have been awful. Um, think about all the children that would have came out of that. Um, imagine your spouse planting the fields and then going out and visiting the priestess of Ashereth. It had been a, 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 a terrible thing. <clears throat> and then imagine the, the light that Jephthah's daughter would have spread across the land and how she lived. So um, soon after that, uh, Jephthah fought against the tribe of Ephraim. Um, you can read about that. I'm not going to talk about that at all. He won another great victory, and he judged Israel for six years and then died. So Jephthah was the lowest man. He was the son of a harlot. He was the outcast. But he had faith, and God used him to bring deliverance. What is your faith motivating you to do? So I want to read um, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also... We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I, I love these stories here. Um, it seems like I find myself in the story somewhere. I can relate to it. They struggled with the same things I do, and they won their battles. It's encouraging to me to continue on, to run the race with endurance. We're not alone, and it says that there are part of our great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on and that are observing. One thing, nothing is more encouraging to me, I think, than having a friend who's faithful and lives at as an example and and it's also very discouraging to have a friend that's not faithful and I love this story because Jephthah is like us he faced injustice Um, but he didn't hold grudges just like God he fought and delivered the ones that had rejected him and then offered his daughter for an example to the rest of Israel and Jephthah's daughter didn't wasn't really involved, but she was willing to put her life on display um, to show the daughters of Israel a better way. What a story. May the Lord bless you.